Hello, and thank you so much for tuning on in to another episode of Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis. My name is Ellie Angel Mobs, a proud ambassador for Endometriosis Australia, and we make this podcast to get that conversation out there for the one in nine who battle this debilitating disease. We've made it to March 2022, and it's a big, important month. This month is all about raising awareness for endo. So if you'd like to know how we are celebrating here in Australia and across the world, get to endometriosisaustralia.org. While you're there and you're an endo warrior, make sure you get in contact with me because we would love for you to share your story on this podcast. Just like Amina, who's from Perth, she's got stage four endo, has been through an incredible journey, and I really think that you're going to love hearing her story. She is just a positive breath of fresh air. So please enjoy Endo Warrior Amina. Hello, Ellie. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Endo Warrior? Uh, I'm doing really good, thank you. That's good. You feeling good today? Yeah, feeling pretty good. Um, It's a little bit tired because my uh, bub was keeping me up a bit last night, but apart from that, going really good. (laughs) Well, I'm really looking forward to hearing hearing all uh, about what's happened with you and endometriosis. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, okay, so I am 36. Um, I'm married uh, to an amazing husband and have been for, oh gosh, I think this would be uh, 12 years this year. Um, we've been together for 16 and we've got two little fur babies and also a little seven-month-old son. Wonderful. Um, I too am a fur mum. It's the most magnificent thing ever when you are feeling rotten and those dogs just know. Oh gosh, yeah. I've got one dog specifically, um, Flump, funny name, but um, he is like, he's a warrior. He's been there for me since day one and he's just amazing when it comes to my endo stuff. He's just always known when something's going on and he's just always been there and he's my comfort throughout the whole thing. He's, yeah, he's been the best thing ever for me. So you were diagnosed officially in 2004 with stage four endometriosis. Did you, growing up, when you very first got your period, were you in a lot of pain? Um, yeah. So um, I remember getting them when I was in year eight. So I think I was only like 13 or 14 then. And they were super heavy. And I think by the time I'd finished high school, they'd started to become super painful as well. Like mm-hmm. I can remember having like the first two or three days of my periods where they were just horrific. And, you know, mum was trying to give me any kind of painkiller she could. Most of the times I'd be bedridden for the first couple of days. Like I'd be taking Panadine Fort just to get me through. Mm. Like it was, yeah, it was horrific. And I remember seeing doctors or wanting to see doctors at the time. And mum's like, no, no, this is just normal. Like I had the same thing. It's all normal. And I was Mm. just kind of like, okay, well, I guess this is just what's happening. Your story is so common as well. We are of similar age and I too was the same but I was fortunate enough that my mum had a medical background she's a retired nurse so she actually knew what endometriosis was and when I started showing the symptoms she was just banging down doors at doctors until we eventually got a diagnosis which you know does take a very very long time but you mentioned that yeah. your mum also had the painful period so surely she must have been the same as well she yeah so I think um so I, I believe after my brother was born she she may have had a hysterectomy or something. I'm not 100% sure, mm-hmm. but I remember her telling me that her periods were painful and heavy as well. So because it was what she knew and I've got a Lebanese background, they, um, you know, they don't really talk about that kind of stuff. So for them, it was just 
kind of brushed under the table. This is just normal. This is what this is what you go through. This is what happens. Like it wasn't really a doctor worthy thing in her mind. Like she just because it was what she went through, she just went, Well, that's yeah. the same thing that I went through. It's just the norm and that's what people get used to. And yeah. Go, oh yeah, I'll go about my day. I'll take a panadine fort and we'll see how it goes. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, exactly. It was like, I'll just take some Panadol or take some Nurofen and you'll be right kind of thing. Look, if you are getting flawed and your period is stopping your day-to-day routine, then you need to get talking to your GP because that is not normal. Were you missing out on school and hanging out with friends as well because you were in so much Um, pain? I I remember like after school, definitely. Um, I think because it didn't really, like the pain didn't really peak until after school. But yeah, definitely after school. I can remember there was one particular time where I was driving home from like a friend's place or I think maybe even one of my cousin's places and I had to pull over. I was in so much pain and I I called mum and I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to make it home. Like I'm, I can't. I'm in so much pain. I'm struggling to drive. And it took everything in me just to get like the 15 minutes home and it was straight into bed. So definitely around the times when I knew my period was coming, I was very cautious of what I was doing, making sure I wasn't doing too much. And I was, you know, kind of resting at home as much as possible because that's all I could really do. And that's in your prime time, you know, that's your your late teens, your early 20s when you want to be going out and socialising and you don't want to be controlled by an illness as to, oh, my social calendar, I'm sorry, I can't make that because I'm going to be in bed. Like that, that, that's not the way to live your life. No, definitely not. Like it was, yeah, it was horrible. And even after I met my husband, like I can remember times where I'd be at his place and I'd just be in bed. Like his his mum would be looking after me because I would be just, curled up in his bed because I couldn't move I was in that much pain like it you know not something you really want at the beginning of a new relationship either oh absolutely yeah I started uh dating my now husband when I was first going through the whole process of getting diagnosed and it really is the biggest test for any relationship and well you found a keeper and so have I so maybe that's just what men need to go through (laughs) A hundred percent. Like it, you know, if you if if your guy can't handle it, then I'm sorry. Maybe he should. He's not the right guy. Definitely. I got I got really really lucky with mine. We've we've had so many ups and downs in our past, and especially a lot of it related to my endometriosis. And I'm just really fortunate that he stuck with me through it all. We'll talk about the ups and downs a little bit later on in this episode, but. 2014, you were officially given the diagnosis stage four endometriosis. When you heard yes. that, was it like a weight lift older? off your shoulders because finally you've got this diagnosis and you know what's going on? I I think for me, I I just remember living in this bubble. I was kind of like, you know, he'd said to me, you've got stage four endometriosis. We're referring you to a specialist because we can't do anything. He's like, I couldn't do anything. I closed you up. And I, because I, I knew nothing about the disease whatsoever. So I'd lived in this kind of bubble of thinking, you know, there was something wrong with me internally with regards to not being able to fall pregnant and then to get this news I was like crap I know nothing about this what do I do now and even then I I still didn't think it was that serious I guess I kind of still lived in that bubble until I was eventually saw the specialist who really laid it out for me because the first doctor I saw didn't really tell me much about it he just kind of said well we can't do anything it's too advanced for us you need to see someone else Um, and I was, I guess I was kind of like, oh, okay, well, I'll just wait and see what next doctor says. I was was very naive to it all. And I didn't really look it up much and I didn't really know much about it until I saw the next specialist. And did that specialist then explain what was going on and you had more of an understanding? He probably explained it a little too much. (laughs) Um, He kind of said, he's like, you're so bad that 
I would generally recommend a hysterectomy um, and you're never going to be able to have kids. And it was, it, I, I remember it being like a five or 10 minute appointment with my husband and I walked out of there just bawling my eyes out because all I'd ever wanted to be was a mum. Mm. And I just went, okay, well, now I need to really look into this and now I need to find out what's going on because that can't be my only choice. Like that can't be my only answer. He he basically kind of said, well, we'll just put you on a list for surgery to try and get it removed. And that was basically it really with him. Wow. It's a real roller coaster of emotions. Yeah, it is. It was it was hectic. I remember thinking like this this can't be it. Like it's you know, I knew there was something wrong and it was great to finally get an answer, but at the same time it was like my all my dreams in life had just been crushed and I just went, No, I'm I'm not okay with this being my only solution. I need to find something else. So when you probably got onto the internet and started reading about endometriosis Um, There's so many different bits of information and things that you can find out and there's a lot of crap stuff, but, you know, the Endometriosis Australia website, for example, is the number one place to go to. Um, Did you find any weird things when you were first researching? I guess the weirdest thing for me was just how many people said that there were so many ways that you could diagnose it and Mm. dismissed it. Like I remember one doctor many years before I got my actual diagnosis who'd said to me, oh, well, we can diagnose it with a blood test and ruled me out of endometriosis from a blood test. And I was like, I, so when I found out that I did have it, I was like, well, hang on a minute. I got told years ago I didn't have it. So if for me, it was just the many different ways that people would say, oh, well, if you do this and you can't see anything, you don't have it. It's like, well, no, that's not actually the case. And especially in my case, like the amount of ultrasounds I've had and nothing has ever turned up on any of my ultrasounds. So you ended up going to see one of the top excision specialists in Sydney, went and had yes. the excision surgery for the endo. Yes. Um, you also had a fallopian tube removed. Yeah, he removed my left fallopian tube. So I ended up having like a pouch of Douglas disease. So my bowel was stuck to my uterus. Um, Like I had it all over my urethra. Like it was, yeah, he said it was everywhere. Like my tubes were twisted. They were blocked. My ovaries were riddled with it. It was just, he said it was all throughout my pelvic region. Um, And he removed my left fallopian tube because it was that badly twisted and damaged that there was no way it was ever going to normally function. No wonder why you were in so much pain. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Like when when that happened, I was like, huh. Okay, now I know what's going on, yeah. and you know, at the at the risk of being too much, like saying too much information, but he turned around afterwards and said to me, "Now go and have sex and tell me if it actually hurts you or not," because that was one of my other symptoms as well. For yeah. as long as I could remember, I had painful sex; like yep. it, it used to kill me. So, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Now, now let me know how this goes," and because my bowel movements used to be painful as well, he was sitting there saying, "Go and do all of this stuff now, and then come back and tell me in six weeks how it all feels." And did everything feel a bit better after the surgery? It was like a whole, it was like I was a normal person. Wow. <laughs> it was completely like I was a normal person. I'd, I'd forgotten what it was like to not be in that much pain. Like it, I didn't know what normal sex was like. I didn't, I'd forgotten what normal bowel movements were like because every time would hurt. And yeah, it was just, it was amazing. <laughs> it is amazing too when you... Everything just felt, it just felt normal for once. I yeah. felt like a normal girl for once. Well, it's interesting too. You mentioned the bowel movements. You mentioned, you know, having sex and stuff. Like that's just things that people do on the norm. But for an endo warrior, that, yes, will cause so much pain. And in the lead up to it, you get the anxiety and it just all builds yes. up. So it's just this massive that's big it, conglomerate yeah. of everything and it's just like, yeah. Ah, it really takes yeah. it takes over your mind, your whole body as well. 
100%, 100%. Like it's just the anxiety is almost just as bad as the pain because that's all you're thinking about. You're like, you know you're going to be in pain, like you know it's going to happen. So that ends up taking over your whole mind and you end up not being able to enjoy the experience or even just enjoy the relief or anything. So, you know, having that gone was just a, a whole weight taken off my shoulders. So after your first excision, excision surgery, then 12 months later, you went back to your specialist and the endo, it had grown back. Yeah. So we, he fit me with a marina um, because we discussed all the different options and he said, look, nothing's going to cure it. Everything's just a Band-Aid. Um, and he said, I don't want to put you on the pill because you don't need anything else messing with your hormones, but I would like to give you the marina because that's supposed to stop your periods. So after I had the marina for that six or eight months I was still bleeding and I saw him and he said it was pretty common um then a couple of months after that I went back and saw him again I was like I'm in pain and he goes well it sounds like your endo's back it sounds like it's you're someone that's just got it that aggressive um and he's like just keep an eye on how things go when it gets too bad come and see me again and we'll we'll see what we can do and that was 2017 I went back and saw him um and we would we booked my next surgery for, I think it was six weeks later. So I was going in for my third surgery, but my second excision surgery in 2017. It's a shame that you don't get frequent flyer points or velocity points when you go and get surgery because uh, no worries oh, would be flying man. first class everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, just get, you should get frequent flyers for how many nights you stay in hospital as well because <laughs> that makes a difference during like, you know, just you build up rewards points so the next time you go in, you don't have to pay for your, your coverage or anything like that. That'd be great. That would be <laughs> magnificent. And that's the thing too, when it comes to the hospital, some people will just have day surgery. And when I hear day surgery, I think, great, I'll be back at work the next day. And this is exactly what happened to me when I had my very first uh, laparoscopy. And mm. no, 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 I, I was in bed for four weeks. It was full on and you just need to prepare potentially for it to be quite a long recovery post-surgery oh 100 all right well, i remember the first one the diagnostic one i remember going back to work after like a week and a half and i was exhausted and they hadn't even done anything for me then and they, they actually ended up sending me home because even just them having a look around at everything and moving everything around was enough to kick in like you know kick in an extra flare up and everything along with it so after the excision surgeries, I remember my first one, it took me about six or seven weeks before I could even walk down the street. Um, but, it, you know, even then I took it much, much, much easier. Um, and then from then on, I kind of knew what to expect each one. But it still kicks your butt. It doesn't get any easier no matter how many surgeries. It still manages to kick your ass every mm. single time. Absolutely. And it's all about taking your time to get back on your feet. Like, don't push yourself. Yeah. Even if you may think, I feel good today, don't then go yeah. and try and walk a 10 kilometre, you know, walk 10Ks or no. anything. Just like, just baby steps. No. Yeah, exactly. And you could be in the prime of health. Like, I remember my last one, I was a regular at the gym. I was eating really well. I'd managed to lose like 20 kilos. I even when I felt ready to go back to the gym and I was signed off to go back, I still was only going like one or two sessions and I was that maybe a quarter of the strength that I was doing and I was still just trying to take it easy because it doesn't matter where you are in your fitness level, it still manages to knock you around. So you've, you've got the worst of the worst when it comes to endo, stage four, and you'd think when you've got the worst that it would show up on those really expensive scans that you go and get. Oh, yeah. You know, the internal yeah. ones, they're, they're not pleasant. Yes. 
No. The ones if you got to drink a couple of glasses of water so your bladder's full so they can see everything mm. and it's, you know, half an hour of them probing and prodding and, mm. and then, yeah, nothing. Never, nothing. Ever, no, nothing ever shows up. No, I remember I had, so my, uh, the ultrasound before my last surgery, it was done two weeks before my surgery and I'll never forget sitting in the, um, sitting in the room or laying in the bed waiting to be taken into the theatre and my doctor came out and saw me and he said, well, look, based on your scans, probably only going to be about a 30 minute, maybe one hour surgery. Um, we'll keep you overnight just to monitor you, but you won't be on a morphine drip or anything. So you'll be fine. Um, and I was like, okay, sweet. Like, and, and meanwhile, in my head thinking, well, you know, I'm a hypochondriac, I've made all this up, like, you know, maybe my pain isn't as bad as what I thought it was. And then three hours later I came out of surgery and they wouldn't let me leave recovery until they'd had my pain under control through a morphine drip. And I was like, okay, so this wasn't in my head. This was actually a real thing. It just doesn't show up. It really is the biggest mental game, endometriosis. Yeah. Yeah, it messes with your head just as much as it messes with your body. That's mm. what I've always said. Like I truly believe it messes with your head more because you're so used to being in pain. You don't know when it's a bad pain day or you don't know when it's a, a good pain day and you don't know whether you're acting at the point where you need surgery or whether it's just you're just having a rough day. Mm. And also getting told from doctors that I'd one say, oh, might just all be in your head. And when you hear those words, yeah, you think, that doesn't oh, that doesn't help. <laughs> no, it doesn't because then it just messes with your head even more. Mm. How do you yeah. do? You, um, how do you help with the mental health side of things when it comes to endo? Um, so now um, my dogs are a big thing. Um, mm-hmm. I like to get out to the beach. So we live pretty close to the beach where we are. So I do like to sit up at um, one of the lookouts near us and just watch the ocean. I find that really, really helps. Um, getting out into nature for me is a really specific one. Um, even if it's just sitting in my backyard with my hands or my feet in the grass, it just, for some reason, it's really grounding for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also reading. I do a lot of reading, so I disappear into my books. And I've done that since I was little. Um, Reading for me has always been something that I've loved doing. Um, But previously I've also used the gym. Um, I haven't gone back to the gym since, you know, uh, having my little one after IVF and everything. But, yeah, it it was just mainly reading and my dogs, having them around with me and getting out into nature as much as I could. Some great tips there. And you have got a seven month old. Um, yes, I do. Congratulations. Thank you. <laughs> IVF. Yeah. That's a different kettle yeah. of fish. That's a whole <laughs> other journey to add on to the layer of endometriosis. How yes. long yeah. were you trying for? Uh, so we, I like to say we got really lucky. So we did two rounds of IVF uh, because they removed my uh, remaining fallopian tube in 2019 for my last surgery. Wow. Um, so we, yeah, we did two rounds of IVF and our second round we managed to get one tiny little embryo who just managed to stick and that's my little boy now. Oh, that is such a beautiful story, that lucky little embryo turning into, what's his name? Max. Oh, little Maxie. Will you tell yeah. Maxie when he gets older? Like this is 100%. what we have oh, to yeah. go through. He's, yeah, he's gonna know because if he, you know, hopefully there's by the time that he's grown up, there's more awareness. I want him to make sure that he's just like his father when it comes to finding a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and if he finds someone who's got endometriosis, I want him to be all aware of it and be able to support her as much as you know his dad did for me. Your husband sounds like an amazing guy to have next to you and to be taking with you on this journey. 
Definitely. He's uh, been my pillar of strength and he's gotten through everything with me. So I'm it, very thankful for him. And it always is really hard for the guys as well. And families involved with someone going through endometriosis because, you know, it's like, oh, I know my husband's kind of like, oh, can I do anything for you? And, you know, when I'm in a yeah. mood or I'm in pain, I'm like, no, nah, I just, I just want to curl into a ball. You can't do anything. And it's, yeah, you can just I'm, see that he's just feels so deflated from it. Yeah, and it's it's hard for them as well because they can't see it and they're used to being able to fix things that they can see. So until they actually see exactly like he, I remember him saying after he actually saw all the images, he went, wow, that's like I now know what you're going through. He's like, I never doubted that you were in pain, but I couldn't I couldn't see it to know how much it was actually affecting you. Um, and when he actually did see the images, he said, he, he really understood then just exactly how painful it was for me. So for them, not being able to see something is, is so much harder. And when they do actually see it, it makes it harder for them not being able to fix us because, you know, they love us and they want to make it better for us and they can't. So when you did go through the IVF, the, the first round, and I've done uh, multiple rounds of IVF, and that once again is, as I said, another journey and it's a roller coaster of emotions. Did you find that yeah. it flared up your endometriosis pain as well? Um, no, it, it surprisingly didn't. Um, I, I thought I was going to turn into some crazy person from the hormones as well, but it, I don't know if maybe it mellowed me. Um, I think I just kind of put it in a box of, you know, this is this is what I'm doing to get my dream. Yeah. So I'm going to do whatever I have to do and I'm going to push through it because I'm, I'm needle phobic as well. So oh, wow. the idea of giving myself needles was petrifying. And I remember the any time I had to give myself the first needle, my husband luckily was home because he's a shift worker. So luckily he was home for that first needle and he was standing there guiding me and helping me do it. But I would be, you know, bawling my eyes out while I'm taking me like 10, 15 minutes to give my first myself that first needle. Mm. To this day, even after all those needles, I cannot stand a cannula and I cannot stand any kind of needle whatsoever. Um, but yeah, like it's, it, you know, it just, for me, it was just, this is what I have to do. I went, I had kind of tunnel vision. I went, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm just going to push through it no matter what. So you were focused on dogs. the goal. Yeah, I was, I was so focused on the goal and I had my dogs and they, they mm. know, like they, they both know when something's going on with me and they, mm. they will quite literally smother me. They will not leave my side and they will glue themselves to me if I, until I'm, you know, feeling much better. Dogs just are the perfect thing to heal. Yeah, they are. I, I tell every person that I can, if you've got some kind of, some kind of chronic illness, mental illness, anything, go and get yourself a dog because mm. they, they are the biggest gift in the world and they know how to fix you better than any other thing can. So other than going out and getting a fur baby, which um, can, can be quite expensive <laughs> at the moment. Um, what yes. are your, your other tips to endo warriors who are going through pain? Have you got like your number one go-to, for example, for me? It's a heat pack. Yep, heat pack for me and my Ovira TENS machine. Um, Ovira has oh. been like a godsend for me with my TENS machine, um, especially with the back pain because I get some very severe back pain um, around my periods and that's been my go-to. Um, and essential oils, funny enough, um, there's a blend of essential oils that I use from um, doTERRA called the Clary Calm, um, which is just an amazing blend and you, I can use that plus a heat pack plus the TENS and it gives me maybe about a 50 to 75 percent relief wow so. okay the tens machine i'm seeing lots more people getting on board with that now too 
Yes, definitely. And I think the reason why I was drawn to Ovira is that um, it's an Australian-owned company um, by a lady called Alice Williams, and she's an endo-warrior as well. So she created the company because she had endometriosis. So that's why I was drawn to them more than anything. Um, And they've got their own support group for women as well. and, And yeah, they've just been amazing. And if you have got private health insurance, you can get a letter from your GP and also from the chemist, and then you will be able to claim some of the expenses back for your TENS machine as well. That's what I was able to do. And that's, you know, really, we are very lucky here in Australia because I know there's lots of endo warriors overseas who um, financially are forking out hundreds of thousands of dollars to help cover the medical costs. So... Oh, definitely. Yeah, we're really, really lucky. And if you get yourself a really good doctor as well, I've been fortunate with my doctor in Sydney. um, And if I ever need other surgeries, I will probably fly back to Sydney to see him because I don't trust anyone else. But he's he's always covered my costs and he's always taken care of me. And, and, you know, because the first time I saw him, I didn't have private health insurance and I do now, but at the time I didn't. And he went, don't worry about it. I've got you covered. He wouldn't let me go. And I was just, I was so thankful to him and so grateful to him for taking care of me. And you're right too, if you're not happy with the first opinion from a doctor, go and get a second and a third until you are satisfied because at the end of the day, it's your body and you've got to be the self-advocate to make sure you're getting the right treatment. Absolutely. And it's the same with GPs. Keep pushing and find yourself a GP that's going to believe you and listen to you because that was was the other thing I was really fortunate with, having a GP that listened and heard and believed what I had. So she advocated for me just as much as he did. Amina, thank you so much for chatting with us on the Living with Endo, the A to Z of Endometriosis podcast, sharing with us an endo warrior story. You have been through so much and it's so lovely to chat to you because despite everything, you're remaining really positive and upbeat about it all. Yeah, you know, you have your good days and you have your bad days. But as I like to say, this is the life I was given and, you know, I'm going to continue to live it and fight for it as much as I can. Well, thank you so much for continuing the fight and for passing on some great advice to our fellow endo warriors today. You take care of yourself. Give your fur babies and Max a big hug from everyone here at Endo Australia. I will. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure talking to you and and it's been really nice to be able to share my story too. On Living with Endo, the A to Z of endometriosis, that was Amina from Perth, an endo warrior sharing her true story of battling stage four endo. And we want to get more of these stories on these podcasts. So if you would like to share yours, please get in contact with me via the Endometriosis Australia org website. While you're there, you can also see what is planned for March because March is the month for raising awareness for endometriosis, including Endo Enlightened, which is encouraging landmarks and businesses across Australia to dress themselves in bright yellow to support and bring hope for the endo warriors. If you want more details, once again, that website is endometriosisaustralia.org. Thank you so much for tuning in. I can't wait to chat to you soon.